0: Welcome to Enabling Digital with Systems Plus podcast series. My name is Sapan Choksi, and today I'm joined by a retail stalwart, Guy Cortin. His insights into technology transformation that is taking place around around retail, and specifically the retail supply chain, is unparalleled. Guy, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you.
1: Sapan, thank you so much for having me here, and I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Awesome. So let's jump right in. I want to start with the pandemic. It created havoc on the entire supply chain across the globe. How did you approach the problem and help navigate your customers through this challenge?
1: Wow, you know, that's a big one. Um, You know, I, I'll sort of couch it first off by saying, yeah, of course, the pandemic was a global disruption, and especially in the supply chain space. And, and you know, sort of I, I half joke about this, but the reality is, the pandemic sort of shined a light <clears throat> on supply chain, what it meant and what it did for everybody. I'll give you a, a, sort, of a sort of a funny side story. My mother, very smart woman, uh, but for the longest time has always asked me, she's like, well, gee, what do you do? I don't really understand what the supply chain thing is. <laughs> pandemic hits and all of a sudden she calls me up one day and she's like, ah, now I know what supply chain is. Because when she went to the grocery store or she went somewhere and there wasn't anything on the shelf, she not understood what supply chain meant. So the reason I bring this up is because I think it sort of gives a little context as to, you know, when the pandemic hit, obviously we know all the disruptions it made and all the tragedies that happened and all, you know, how our lives changed. But what it really did is it showed that, you know, when when you and I and everyone listening to this podcast, if we're out there as consumers or even for day jobs, we are looking for things to get to us in a timely and a cost-effective fashion. And that's what the supply chain does and the problem is that we ran supply chains in a very lean manner we ran supply chains in a very you know just in time quick really trying to as we always try to do cut the fat out of the supply chain and what the pandemic showed is that well maybe we cut too much fat out and maybe we weren't ready for this so to your question one of the things that 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 was really interesting for me at the time um, i was working for a company called six river we were in uh, automation for the warehouse and it was a really interesting time from the standpoint of you know we thought like a lot of us that our business would be really put under a lot of pressure that companies would be reassessing their supply chain investments that companies would be just worried about making payroll and keeping their employees safe um and and healthy what we found is that the automation we provided for warehousing actually took off during the pandemic why because a, labor was, we always have labor issues, but during the pandemic even more so because now people couldn't go in, people had to be socially distant, people were getting sick. Um, and all of a sudden this robots these robotic solutions were helping the supply chain and one part of it to keep up as much as it could. So my experience during the pandemic is really around and It was really to some degree eye-opening to show me sort of the value of some of these new technologies automation in particular when it came to parts of the supply chain and i think the pandemic was just a catalyst to some degree uh for some of this adoption because it really it it the roi model became sort of easier to demonstrate because we were living it and that was really for me one of the big experiences i got during the pandemic
0: right oh that's that's pretty cool um so actually i'm going to uh quote, a statement that I've heard you say in the past that supply chain needs a seat at the C-suite. Can you help our listeners understand what you mean by that and understand why you feel that way?
1: Absolutely. And I think the reason why supply chain needs a seat at the C-suite, is is that if we think about the boardroom, of course, we have our CEO, we have our chief marketing officer, chief revenue officer, CIO, CTO. Um, These are all representing parts of your organization that help you do what you're trying to do which is to get a product or a service to your end customer. what we forget sometimes is that especially if it's a physical object or physical good we're trying to deliver to someone there is a whole supply chain that supports it so there's a whole <clears throat> organization and sometimes people say well that's just the you know chief operating officer will take care of that but I would argue the chief supply chain officer has a unique set of skills, and a unique value prop for the business and for that C-suite. And what do I mean by that? It's someone who has to have the understanding of first and foremost, what does your supply chain look like? How do your suppliers, how does your relationship with suppliers? How's your manufacturing? How's your fulfillment? How's your logistics? How's your storage, right? All these components that go into your business. How does he or she manage that and understand all the moving parts? Secondarily, how does this, role this person at the C-suite, how are they able to promote and and to some degree fight for the needs of the supply chain with the CIO, the CTO, the CMO, the CRO, etc. Why? Because if I'm investing and in, let's let's say an example, you know, if the CIO says, hey, we need a new ERP system, well, how's that going to impact my supply chain? How is that new system going to tie into my other systems, my WMS, my TMS? my SNOP engines, my planning engines, et cetera. And if you don't have someone at the C-suite who understands this and can speak for it and advocate for it, if you will, at the C-level, then what you're going to get is decisions made without understanding the impact it's going to have on your supply chain. And the reality, and this is the part, you know, something I think people forget, is they say, oh, well, supply chain's a back office function. Like, you know, we'll we'll just tell supply chain what to do. More and more, we're realizing no, 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 supply chain drives your business. If you don't allow that part of the business to have a voice at the C suite, you're going to miss out because why you're making decisions without having the true picture of how your business functions. So I truly believe that we need to see more and more of a chief supply chain officer title and role. And that person, you know, she needs to be able to sit or will be sitting at the C suite level and have just as much responsibility if you will as the chief marketing officer the chief revenue officer the chief information officer etc so i think it's really important and we're we're starting to see it happen i just think we need to see a a, a, a much more concerted acceleration of it and i and i'm you know hope and i know hope's not a strategy but mm-hmm. my hope is is that by the end i whatever i retire if i ever do retire um mm-hmm. that the the you know the, the csco will be just as much a part of a of a of a C suite as any other sea levels that we see today.
0: I, I think you bring up a great point. Um, anecdotally, without naming names, uh, we were working with a customer um, who, you know, who used to source from China and the merchandise was coming over by ship and it got stuck due to certain reasons, which I won't go into, and uh, they missed their whole fall back to school sort of, no. uh, you know, uh, well. Back to school. Uh,
1: back to school rush. Yeah,
0: rush exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, imagine that that that's probably when it, the aha moment must have come for them. But any case, I, I I I I diverge. But, um, you also talk a lot about sort of order fulfillment. Uh, um, and you know, having everything uh, be economical and having it come in a timely fashion, which I can't agree with you more. Um, but I feel a lot of people miss this um can you expand on why you feel it's so important i know it ties a little bit into what you just said but uh but i think um i think it's important for people to understand that this why this or you know this whole thought process especially in the last couple of years has changed and why order fulfillment has become sort of the key to um sort of customer happiness i would say
1: absolutely And and i i think it's um I'm gonna go back in the time machine here. <clears throat> you know, I started my career back in the late '90s, right, La- last century, and um, I was fortunate enough. I I started my first sort of, I guess, real real job was at forester research. And you know, any of us who are old enough to remember that time, you know, it was dot com boom. Uh, yep. Everybody was you know climbing all over themselves. Uh, Nasdaq was going crazy. Um, you know, this this dot com thing was just taking off and. Forrester was, you know, one of the research companies focused on that. So I, I really got a front front row seat to what was happening in this dot com boom. And one of the things, you know, to your question, Sapan, that I learned from that, I still take the lesson is the beauty of the dot com boom was that we we and, and you know part of the discussion here we started embracing more digital and and the digital back then, of course, was the web. So we had this internet thing, and oh my goodness, all of a sudden now, if um, if Ge was running a, a you know, carpet, you know, rug, rug manufacturing store or manufacturer out of, you know, the South of France, I could now advertise my products across the world. I had access to the entire world technically through this thing called the web, the internet. And all of a sudden that just opened up from a digital perspective, unlimited markets to some degree, right? I could, mm-hmm. I could sell my, my carpets. Um, I could have a store in Nice, but I could sell it to someone in, in Buenos Aires, um, they could just click on it and and see my product and see the price and interact with me and then purchase it. And then all of a sudden I realized, well, wait a minute, I got to wrap that rug. I got to put it in a box. I got to ship it across the world. Now I can do it if I have unlimited funds, but we all know this it costs money. Right. And what we realized very quickly, and I think when I look back, and I think we all saw this, right? Hindsight's 2020, is that the internet, the dot com boom, was the front part of that consumer journey right it was what was that engine that you and I and everybody else who was a, as a consumer can now interact with brands and retailers and, and companies with and that was that was absolutely revolutionary what we neglected at some level is the back end the fulfillment right. side right all of a sudden we were like yeah great I can sell you anything I want online I gotta ship it to you mm-hmm. oh wait a minute. You know, if I just ship one to Sapan, and you know, you said you're in India right now, I could ship it to you in India and it might cost me. Maybe I pass the cost on to you, and maybe for you and I, I can do it and still be air quotes profitable. But now if I want to do it to another 10 people, a hundred, a thousand, a million, right? All of a sudden now the scale becomes such that I need to have the ability to ship something cost effectively and in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know one of the lessons I took and to your question when it comes to the retail supply chain today, when it comes to the this digital transformation, one of the things that we constantly forget, especially in the retail side, and I don't want to say we forget, maybe we, we we more, we don't want to talk about it, is that it is still a physical activity. What I mean by that is when we think about fulfillment, we think about retail, we think about what we're seeing at the end of the day, Retail, when you boil it down to it is I'm just trying to get you a product into your hands, right? Whether, whether it's a carpet, a pen, a book, you know, a a t-shirt, whatever it is, I'm trying to get you this physical object into your hands. And now what we're seeing is that I'm giving you the consumer, the option to tell me the retailer where you want me to give it to you. Do you want to come into a store? Do you want me to deliver it to your house? Do you want me to put it into an Amazon locker? Do you want me to put it, you know, deliver to you by drone, wherever that may be? So that fulfillment side has become more complicated, but it's always been incredibly challenging because it's a physical activity. And we all know this, that, you know, mother nature and physics, we can't bend it to the way we want it. Physics is physics, right? I can right. only move a ship across the ocean at a certain speed. I can only put so many TEUs on a ship. I can only put so many T-shirts on a drive down the road at a certain speed. Um, you know, there are physical constraints. I mean, the, the 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 great example I always I used to use in presentations. I show a picture of um, you know the ship that ran aground in the Suez Canal last year, or a year and a half ago. That's a physical issue, right? No matter how many digital bits and bytes I put around it, if that ship runs aground. That Suez Canal is stopped for X amount of days, and there's nothing I can do about it, right? I can't go around, you know, the, the 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 Horn of Africa any faster because I can't. I can reroute my stuff, but I can't go any faster. I can put stuff back on a plane, but I can't go any. I can't have excess, you know, unlimited capacity. So from that perspective, you know, the fulfillment aspect I think is one that we are constantly trying to solve for, optimize for, but we are limited by the fact that it is a physical activity and that, you know, we as consumers or we as businesses do a pretty good job on the ones and zeros, right? The digital aspect. But once we spill over to the physical side, we're limited by mother nature, right? She she still rules the world, so to speak, and we Mm -hmm. can only move and do things that she allows us to do within certain constraints.
0: Absolutely. That's a a very valid point. Um, But speaking of which uh, you talked about constraints. Um, how today the world is becoming increasingly com- uh, consumer centric. I'm not saying it wasn't before, but that whole thought process of hyper personalization has become sort of the flavor of the day. So mm-hmm. so consumer focused and the approach uh, that retailers are taking today, it impacts supply chain strategies for sure. Um, so sort of how can digital transformation help align? Um, the supply chain the evolving consumer demands and and how do you foresee this sort of you know evolution and and the role supply chain pundits or supply chain uh well you know see uh, SCOs uh, going to play in that
1: yeah you know Sapan the 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 whole digital consumerization into supply chain I think is is really fascinating if I sort of take a step back and let's 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 sort of you know, decouple what digital really means. And, and in this case, what I really look at when it comes to digital is the access to data, right? Access to information, access to, and, and we all, you know, we've all seen the statistics, like we've created more data in the past, what, three years than humankind have created in the past, you know, since the beginning of time. So we are creating, you know, just mountains and mountains of data. So there's, there's no shortage of data. So that's the first part I think is when we think about digital, I boil it down to right now for data and to your question, hyper consumerization. You know, to some degree, digitization has empowered that. I always tell people, you know, when it comes to to retail today, I think consumers, the benefit or the the advantage consumers have is that you know they have because of digital, they have a voice, right? Social media, we're allowed to go out there and and comment and look at and read. And, and interact directly with a brand that we never could before. We have a choice. You know, I talk about the internet and and we think about the internet as sort of, oh, it's been around forever. It's, you know, it's like, it's like water. And it's like, no, the internet's really, really only been around for a couple of decades, but because of the internet, we have unlimited choice. And then yep. now we have the, the the reach, right? We all carry around, or most of us carry around a, a supercomputer in our pocket in, in the form of, a, of an iPhone or an Android phone or whatever, you know, mobile phone you carry, uh, That that's a supercomputer so mm-hmm. as consumers to your quest to your point you're you're right on because the the hyper personalization has shifted why because we have gained the power in the relationship with retail so now we can place demands on that infrastructure and say we want you know we want the product that looks like this and and deliver it here at this cost etc and oh by the way if you don't do it for me i'll just go on my phone and i'll i'll click on someone else's website and and find that product so that's the power shift. And now to your question about the digitization, I think what we're starting, what I'm starting to see more and more is retailers are coming around to understanding that, okay, now, yes, we've given all this power to the consumer, but now we have tools where we can at least be competitive in this relationship, meaning we can be more efficient in our supply chain, et cetera. How? Back to this notion of data. The challenge is, is that data and in I will freely admit this is sort of a pet peeve. You know, if I hear someone tell me data is a new oil again, I might <laughs> scream because part of it, you know, and I tell people this all the time is if I take oil out of, you know, out of, out of the Middle East or out of, out of a tar pit in Canada, it's useless until I refine it. I need to refine that oil. I need to make it into, you know, heating oil for a house into plastic, into automotive, you know, uh, oil for my car into oil. Right. So, I need to transform that oil into something that is of practical use. It's the same thing with data. I can collect all this data until you know the cows come home. Until I transform it into something I can apply to, to some part of my business, it's basically useless. It's just taking up storage space, you know, in, in my cloud. Yeah. So what I challenge people when they think about this is that yes, I need to be super sensitive to my customers' needs and demands and their whims i have all this information this data that i can now harvest to be better prepared for that but i need to understand a what data am i looking for b can i refine it to do something with it and then c how do i apply it so for example you know one of the things i look at especially in the supply chain and i think you know apple did a fantastic job with this you know years ago and they still do but one really good example i have is you know apple basically looked at demand patterns, right? They, they picked up digital signals. They picked up buying behavior, picked up traditional point of sale type information. This is, I'm going to date myself. This is back uh, during the iPod days. And they recognized that there was going to be a big run on iPods and that their new model is coming out and need a certain amount of memory. So they went out and they bought, they Ford bought all the capacity for that hard drive for the iPod. So that when they actually needed it, they knew they had the capacity within their supply chain to meet their customers' needs. And what happened was, you know, you fast forward in that that example, when they started manufacturing it, other players, Samsung and others, needed that flat drive as well. They came to the manufacturers. The manufacturers said, "Listen, Apple's already bought all this capacity. We have none left." So it's an example to me of a of a of a you know a brand, a big retailer using digital, using the data, using the signals they could harvest from that data. To then make a smart decision as to ensuring from a supply chain perspective, they had the capacity of the material to build their product, you know, looking forward. So, and that goes back to being customer centric. Why? Because they recognize that, hey, you know, Guy was going to come next year and buy a new iPod and he wanted X, Y, and Z. So we better make sure that it's there to satisfy their needs, but we need to make sure we have the actual product and the actual material to do it. So I think a lot of retailers, you know, from that perspective are looking at data to A, better understand their customers' needs because, you know, you talk about hyper-personalization, you're spot on, right? I think the from that, the front end of the supply chain, we're looking more and more where we will be able to market and sell, you know, stop on, I'll sell you, you know, you and I could be going online looking to buy a pair of sneakers, but we're going to customize so much that we know that you want it this way and I want it this way. They come off the same assembly line, but we're going to tweak it at the end. I'm using data to figure that out. But then secondarily on the back end, so to speak, these retailers are using their digital strategy specifically around data to better manage their supply chain, to better be not just proactive, but also be better reactive, right? When things happen to pick up signals quicker and to adapt their supply chain, it's still a massive challenge. Don't get me wrong. It's easy to say to do it. Mm-hmm. The actual practicality is very challenging, but the positive side is that the 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 basic tools and data are out there. Now the challenge is how do you harvest it and better use it to again back to your point to be hyper customer sensitive.
0: I was going to actually sort of ask you or interrupt you earlier on that same point. Um, you're you're absolutely right, but um, you know <clears throat> we 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 do work with a lot of retailers. And some are better than others but after you've seen I've, a lot of retailers are still you know while they're starting to see the power of data they're still pretty far behind um so so yeah I guess it's it's a journey but I'm gonna switch gears a little bit uh, here yep. I'm gonna we'll talk a little bit about some future tech and um, uh, I was reading with your articles where you talked about robots transforming retail et cetera. right and I like the way you broke it down. Um, you, you sort of said there're over 350, sorry, there are over 650 vendors in the market and the whole yep. thing can be very overwhelming. But, um, you know, sort of, as you said, identify the area that you want to automate and then go there. So, wh- you know, how how do you guide your customers in that sense? Because it, it, it seems that the problem can be very overwhelming and everybody wants to sell you all the bells and whistles. Etc. But then, how do you guide your customers to say, you know what, step back, break it down. What is your real major problem? Is it solving this, etc. So, how how do you sort of, how how do you navigate that?
1: You know, I'm going to say it. This is going to sound, uh, this is going to sound like business school 101, right? It's it's you start with the the end in mind and work backwards. And and I think it's it's oversimplifying it. But I I do think, especially in robotics and in fulfillment in the warehouse and in distribution, you know, this is. um, this is like every technology right it's up on, it's like you know people like like us like we're in the middle of it so we live it we breathe it we get it but we realize very quickly you know you start talking to some of these folks who have who have day jobs right they're they're working their business yep. and you know you might as well be talking to them about six-dimensional chess because they look at you like what are you talking about but it, it truly is sort of start with the end goal in mind and what i mean by that is let's take a a, a very sort of finite example you know some of the customers I talked to in the past or I still do today about robotics, um, you know sometimes they come to us and 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 they say, listen, right now the big issue is what labor? Well we don't have enough labor. Um, you know I, I'm shifting to a more holistic distribution model, meaning, yes, I have physical stores, but I'm also going to do a lot more e-commerce and I don't want to put my you know into a, a 3PL so I'm going to try to do it myself. but all of a sudden I realized goodness, I, I opened a DC. And I I have trouble hiring labor, let alone retaining it. Yeah. And now I'm asking that labor to pick orders. And oh, by the way, now because it, you know things are going so well, my e-commerce orders are growing, and and now they're you know 20% of my overall revenue stream. So I got to make sure I keep that that channel going. Um, but you know what? I, I've hired Sapan and Guy to pick, but you know they know that that there's not a lot of labor, so. They don't come in every day on time and, you know, they take longer lunch breaks and all this. I've heard about this thing called, you know, AMR robots to help me pick. I want to buy some. But the question I always have, right, is, is I sit down with the customer. And I say, well, well, let's let's think about that. Like, what is this? So what is this technology? What is the problem it's trying to solve? OK, is it solving the labor problem or is it solving the problem that I can't pick stuff fast enough or that one day I expect to pick more stuff? So I need some kind of, of complementary technology to help me do that because then what we, what we can do is we can start again, working the problem, meaning, Hey, automation, as, as you said, you know, there's, there's close to 700 different automation vendors out there today. Well, there's a, a lot of different flavors of automation. There's fixed automation, right? There's automation that is, you know, mobile robots, there's picking arms, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no, tr- there's no shortage of choice. But the consequences of your choices are long term. So for a lot of these, these situations, a lot of times right now, sometimes it's really just peeling it back and, and doing a one-on-one lesson with them is saying, all right, here's here's where automation is, here's what it looked like. Let's, and then let's talk about what you guys are trying to do with it. And then really trying to look at what is this gonna look like for the next couple of years? Because the difference between like warehouse automation or distribution automation is that back to the earlier part of this conversation, it's a physical item. It's hardware, right? I'm putting this in my warehouse. In some cases, I'm literally putting steel in the ground with this technology. So unlike a software package, which even that we know as much as just ones and zeros, once I put a software package in to rip it out, is very challenging. Now imagine that where I'm physically putting something in your warehouse and then I might say, that's nah, it's not working. Let me take it out. So there's all these kind of considerations to take. You know, when we think about this, and what I've found, which is interesting, is is you know maybe two three years ago, um, people kind of you know saw automation in a way. A lot of them sort of took a plunge and were like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna invest in in this technology or that technology." I'm finding today, which I think is fantastic, uh, the the buyer is becoming a lot more savvy. Right, so they are still trying to figure out. What does this mean? What does it look like? But they're much more savvy in terms of thinking about the long-term repercussions, the long-term opportunities with this investment, right? They're they're understanding also one of the issues that we're seeing in automation is the interoperability. So yes, I might buy a robotic system to do my picking, but how does that impact my put away? How does it impact my cycle counting? How does it impact some of my movements? I need to start thinking about these things. So, you know, I think it's... Uh, it's like everything, Saban. I think there's no there's no magic bullet. I think a lot of it is just understanding with the customer what is their end goal, what's their mm-hmm. near term issue, and what's the long term repercussion. Working through the options and and really painting as clear a picture as one can to again the pluses and minuses and everything. But I think what's what's interesting is you know I, I need to real I do remind myself this on a regular basis that. You know, I, I live and breathe this stuff. I just, I don't want to say take it for granted, but I just, there's certain things where I'm like, well, of course I, you know, that's, that's the way it works. But then I have to realize I might go into a retailer and, you know, their day job is to sell their product, sell their shoes, run their website, run their stores deal. With, and so, you know, they don't live and breathe this stuff like I do. So a lot of times it's, it's a lot of, you know, realizing that you just need to educate and they're all smart people. They all understand but educate and and really paint the right picture because, and, and the other part too, is I always tell people, just like every technology, it's not a panacea, right? It's not going to solve world problems. It's a tool. And if you don't use that tool right, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. So I think it's the other part too, is that we have to sort of pump the brakes and make folks realize that technology, software, hardware, robots, whatever it may be, those are tools and they're great tools. They're fantastic tools. But if i don't use them properly i won't get the result i expect and there's this is the exact same thing with robotics
0: right so i'm going to touch on that actually a little bit um you know we always tell all our customers that you know i can build you the best software uh you know it, it, it it'll have every single bell and whistle extra that you need it, it could be awesome but adoption is key i can have the best tool or system but if people don't use it then it's a failure so how do you get that across to your customers
1: you know, I think part of it is don't oversell it. Right. Cause you're absolutely right. And, and I, I've been through plenty of these where, you know, I, I would sell software to someone and be like, Oh my goodness, you could do this, you could do that. And then, you know, you go back six months, 10 months later, and they're using 20% of the software and you're like, well, what about all this other stuff? And they're like, right. well, I don't really need it right now. So it's like, you know, th- this is fine. It's doing what it needs to do. I think that's the other part too, is you, you, you know, we, we need to be very humble when it comes to the automation side, which is, you know, don't oversell it because yes, it can do a lot of different things. It could potentially do X, Y, and Z. It could potentially one day do A, B, and C. But again, that that you know, when we put your your and, and back to the earlier discussion, right? Sort of about having supply chain at the C suite level, it goes back to that too, right? It's it's you need to understand that when you're going in there selling this this technology, the person you're selling technology to they they're trying to solve a problem. Can you solve that problem? Yes. Fantastic. Solve it. Make them happy. Make them happy in the eyes of their boss. Make them happy in the eyes of the, you know, the the, the chief supply chain officer. Because then all of a sudden that gives them job security and they move up the, the ladder and the company does well. If we start trying to, you know, expand and and push all this other ancillary activity that the automation could do, I think all you're doing now is you're 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 muddying up the waters and You know, I think sometimes we try to do that because we want to show how powerful the technology is and, and, oh my goodness, like, look how fantastic this is. But We forget sometimes that, you know, for example, if I, if I'm going in and I'm selling to an operations person at a 3PL, you know, what they're asking for is they say, listen, I don't know if later I need to be able to pick at a, at a consistent rate. And oh, by the way, tomorrow I might be picking shampoo bottles and in six months I might be packing, you know, picking toys. Your solution allow me to do that yes, check that box. Okay, that's all I care about, right? Let me see it in action. Let me get the benefit out of it. And then you can come back and tell me what else you can do. But for now, can you solve this problem? And this is the challenge. And and back to the whole notion of having a a chief supply chain officer at the C-suite is that we need to solve these these near-term finite problems, but we need to have someone in the C-suite that has that long-term vision as well. Because that's where I think you're going to see the the true high performing companies that have that C suite presence, be able to take some of these investments, and yes, I need to solve for X, but I can also see what's going to happen down the road and position myself for that. For example, you know, I was talking to a customer, um, and they're looking at putting conveyors, right, old fashioned conveyors, you know, steel in the ground uh, to move their items, and part of me was like, but do you not realize that you're stuck with this for the next twenty years? Right. What what happens if your business changes in five years? Like, what are you going to do? You can't just rip, I mean, you can rip it out, but that's very disruptive and costly. But for them, it was just, no, 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 this is, we're going to put it in because it, you know, it, it solves our problem. I'm like, yeah, it solves your problem today, but is it future-proofing you? Is it allowing you to be reactionary to what where supply chains are going to go the next five, 10, 20 years? And again, that's where I think the importance of of supply chain being at, C suite level will allow you to have yes, I'm going to solve for my issues today with the vision of what's going to happen tomorrow.
0: Oh, fantastic. Um, well, I can go on and on, but I'm yeah, we're running out of time, so I'm going to stick to this last question. I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot, uh, and you don't absolutely, have to, of course. But, um, looking ahead, what are the trends and technologies that you see shaping sort of the future supply chain and in the retail industry specifically? Who are the few retailers that you'll see are doing a great job?
1: Yeah, no, I love, I love looking out in the future because, you know, unless someone calls me back in five years and, and relists this, right. So I can say whatever I want with, with some <laughs> conviction. So I, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, the future I think is really interesting, you know, so I, I sort of break it down. If we look at retail specifically, I, I break it down to two buckets, right. The, the, the consumer ones sort or of the front end side and then um, the supply chain side, right. No surprise there. So for me and and you mentioned this and I think we're just going to see more of this is the con- the continual evolution to greater personalization for the consumer. And and what I'm seeing in that is you know we have more and more connected devices we talked about data and, and we're just getting more and more data whether of course we carry our phones around and now you know people carry wear smartwatches and et cetera. and and you know this other part has sort of died down but I think it's still out there right we we see a lot more connected products Um, you know, I've seen, I remember seeing like, you know, Ralph Lauren had, uh, connected t-shirts so they could measure how you, you were sweating in your workouts. So as a, as a society, right, we're just going to generate more and more consumer data that from a personalization perspective, I think we're going to see more and more of, and not just in how I market or brand to you, but almost down to how I manufacture products for you. Like, how do I make bespoke products? Uh. Uh, just for Sapan or just for ghee, i think we're going to see more and more of that we're already starting to see a little bit of it um you know for example i i big fan of adidas um i'm still i still play soccer I, I don't know if my body loves me to do that but i still do it but i i love adidas soccer boots and now you used to be able to order adidas soccer boots to customize them, but even down to the You know, my left foot's a 10 and a half, my right foot's uh, 10. So I want the two boots, you know, two shoes to be different. We're going to start seeing more and more of that customization, but more and more of it done in a proactive way. And I I can't believe I'm saying this term, but I I know we probably need to say it, but we're going to leverage more AI or machine learning to better understand that customization down to the product level. So I think we're going to see, we're going to start seeing more and more of that where again, you know, now, not, not across the board everywhere. Like you're still gonna, you know, we're still gonna go to a store and buy a a t-shirt that's a size large, but more and more, you're going to see products that are truly hyper-personalized as you talked about. And that's really from the digital perspective, taking all that information, making use of it, applying smart algorithms to it, to try to make better decisions. So that's on the customer side. I think we're going to see more and more of that. And we are already on the supply chain side. I think back to to two points we talked about a when i look at fulfillment you know we touched upon automation in fulfillment in the warehouse i think from a retail perspective we're going to see more and more automation get closer to us what i mean by that is a lot of automation today in the warehouse well you know last i checked most people don't just go to a warehouse and hang out like i do because that's my job but you know most most consumers don't go hang out in a warehouse So seeing a robot is like, okay, but we're going to start seeing more and more of this in our daily lives, helping fulfill or helping service us as a consumer. We're just starting to see, you know, like companies like Neuro and Starship doing last mile delivery uh, with robotics Uh, There's a company called Zipline out there doing drone delivery. Um, We're going to see more, you know, service robots out there. I remember seeing a robot called Badger. In a grocery store that does uh, monitoring of aisles to make sure there's no spills. Okay. So, as consumers, as retail in the supply chain, one of the things I'm going to look for in the next couple of years is technology like automation becoming more prevalent in our daily lives. And you know, I could speak hours for this because there's obviously challenges, but I certainly think that's something to look for uh, from that perspective. And the other one is is we talked about is data. And this might sound, you know, sort of, we've always talked about this, but I think it's true is we're going to see more and more as I look in the next few years is how do we leverage information and data to be more collaborative within our supply chain? And, and the term supply chain, of course, is, you know, it's not really a good name. It's not a chain, right? It's not, it's not linear. It's a network and, and that network's always changing. So how do we leverage this, this digital twin, which I know we love to throw a term out, but this digital twin to be more efficient in our supply chain, that's across the board, but especially in retail, because to me, retail, since we are, we have to be hypersensitive to the consumer's needs. And let's face it, we as consumers are super fickle, the better I could use data to be more reactionary, more proactive, uh, more dynamic in my supply chain. And I think that's another area we're going to see more of. And, you know, I'm starting to see this, you know, if you look across the board, you know companies like Sephora do a fantastic job with this right they they really are able to use the digital front end with their customers with their mobile app with what they do in the store and then feed that data back through their supply chain and be much more resilient if you will uh with their suppliers so I think that's you know that's one example of of someone that's using the data from the front end but okay. also applying it through the back end. Um you know I look at companies like like Home Depot which I think is really fascinating a very sort of Specific example with them about what they're doing future wise with digital and customer you know consumer consumer tie in, but also with their supply chain is, you know if you if you go to a Home Depot right, it's massive and yeah. you know yes you can stop an associate and, and hopefully you know, most of the time they're very good they know where stuff is, but what I've been doing recently which I think is fast which is you think it's like a no brainer but you know you go to the Home Depot app. And you can look up a product, but then you can say, hey, I'm going to be in you know, the, the Clarendon New Hampshire store and I'm looking for this product. And they'll say, oh, there's six left on the shelf. It's an aisle seven row 12, right? Oh. So this digital connection between me as the consumer meeting my needs, right? Because now you're addressing my needs for finding this product, but you're also helping your supply chain by being able to manage that process and say, okay, Gee's looking up this product. I can ship it to them or I can push into the store. I can, you know, debit the product in the store. So now from a supply chain perspective, I know where my inventory is moving and I'm sure I'm going to feed all this data back into a, a bigger planning engine so I could be smarter about this. So, you know, we're seeing more and more of this. Um, and I think that's that's really exciting. I mean, even I'll give you one last example. You know, I remember talking to some folks at, at Procter & Gamble and they're, they're hypersensitive with regards to where other products are and they're using digital data to understand all the way down to all the stores where their products are placed exactly what's happening with regards to demand so they can go down to you know a, a zip code down to a street down to a specific store so they'll go into like a target and say all right of this type of shampoo how much is being sold oh is it is it getting is it outpacing our plan because if it is then i need to you know i need to replan that store faster than i used to Um, so they're really taking this, 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 this digital revolution and harnessing the data to not only ensure that products are always stocked on the shelf. So they get back to the customer centricity. You know, the last thing we want as a retailer is you and I walk into a store and we're excited to spend our money on a product and it's not in the shelf. Yes. I can go online and order it, but if I go to the store, I want it on the shelf or if I order it, it better be accessible to me in the right time. Right. Companies like that are, are understanding that and leveraging that information across supply chain to make sure that they the front end meet our demands and the back end ensure that they run their supply chain in a cost-effective way to do so.
0: Absolutely. This has been fantastic. Really appreciate your time. Um thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, you've given us a lot of food for thought. And more than that, um, I know a lot of our listeners and our customer base is really going to appreciate some of your insights so thank you thank you once again
1: thank you so much really appreciate it and this was a a lot of fun awesome